Hi, I'm Yezan. And I'm Yulia, and this is From Talent to Performance. A new podcast about talent management from the TMA International Creative Team. Today we're talking about why should companies care about employee experience? Okay, post-COVID reality hit hard, exposing all the weak spots in the field of recruitment uh, or employee retention. It turned out that people are no longer willing to work just for the sake of being employed and getting paid. We ended up opening up new perspectives related to working condition and got inspired on the one hand. And yet, on the other hand, our, our expectations have never been so far apart from those of the organizations. On the other hand, people are aiming for more in their careers, right, Julia? Putting more emphasis on their personal development and growth. However, the organizational structure is primarily obsolete, which gravely affects all the standard HR procedures related to recruitment, onboarding and retention, and the loyalty of the workforce. We're going to be talking a lot about loyalty today, and it is yet to be conquered. So how can we bridge the gap to get out of this vicious cycle? Um, today we are joined by our first guest, CEO of TMA International, co-founder TMA Method, and keynote speaker, Mr. Andre Blum. And I'm um, pretty much looking forward to it. Hi, Andre. Hi, Yasam. Hi, Julia. Hi, Andre. So, can you tell us more about yourself, your experience, and how uh, you got in the field of talent management? Um, that's a good question. Um, sometimes in life you don't know where the tipping point is. Um, but reflecting on it, I think I've learned a lot from my military experience. I was 17, uh, joining uh, the U.S. Marine Corps, and I was not conscious at that moment, but I had an extremely nice uh, drill instructor. And he conducted talent management in his best way. He was challenging me, um, but he never appraised me uh, because of who I am, but he always appraised my effort. And that gave me a kind of sense that um, I had some talents. And at that time, I really didn't know about uh, a definition of talents. I was just overwhelmed by the attention I got, uh, the personal attention he gave me. He always challenged me in a secured environment, but he was always appraising my, my efforts. And I think that has been such a life-changing um, awareness for me that uh, helped me through the course of life and um, I finished my career after 18 years in the in the army and at that time I did a lot of study uh, and that is also remarkable because I went to the army because I disliked studying <laughs> I didn't do so well in school I was as I say it politely a rebel without a course yeah uh, I think my teachers have another phrase for that from yeah. that time, but um, through this, this drill instructor, I started to realize that I had to develop myself all the time based on my strength, and I think that is the key of talent management. So after 18 years, um, doing um, finishing my high school, going to um, different educations um, with a focus on, uh, on educational science, uh, I switched over to the corporate life and uh, found a balance in my, in my personal life. I'm a drill instructor, uh, a firearms instructor, I'm a ski instructor and diving instructor. So that is actually a little bit the red line. I'm always focusing on development. And when I switched into the corporate life, uh, I was more or less shocked how things are organized. This. Uh, my experience in the army was that, you know, you work with each other, you work for each other. You learn the mo most of your peers. And doing going uh, to the corporate life, I found that it was also instrumental. instrumental, And so much uh, restriction by protocols and so much competition between peers. Uh, and I had to adjust to that. And of course, like everybody, uh, making a career switch, uh, continuing and, and pursuing... Um, nice positions and, and feeling that you can have some sense of worth and, and that you belong in such a culture. Of course, I also went to mainframe, um, uh, how do you call that, the mainframe culture, 
doing what everybody was doing. And somewhere in the back of my head, it always concerned me. Um, and then I um, met my two founding partners of the company, um, and I was uh, asked for a, a large staffing company, can you help us um, with our recruiting process? And mostly uh, because of the, the candidates. We were working with uh, high, uh, high professionals, top professionals in the IT sector, in the engineering sector. And as a company, we, we thought like, you know, when we're recruiting and, and proposing um, clients to these uh, high top professionals, we felt there was a kind of a misunderstanding that uh, our employees could not really present themselves from their talents, from their, from their really the true values and their motivation. So I was looking for a tool that could help us out and particularly help the candidates. And then I met my two uh, founding partners, Bastian uh, uh, Muller and, and Edwin van Eisendorn, two young graduates already working four or five years in the, in the business, trying to find their niche. And they suggested to me, oh, we can do that for you. And they developed uh, an assessment tool, and I, um, I picked it up. And when the report was uh, uh, generated, just a split second after I conducted it online, uh, it completely changed my world. I thought, this is it. This is finally an assessment that is written for the candidate and not for the experts. This is how candidates can uh, frame and understand their own capacity their personal leadership um, and bring it to foot forward to uh, personal leadership. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I found my, uh, my quest in life. Um, so this is how I got involved in, in talent management. And the remarkable thing is it's also helped me quite a lot on my personal life. Um, the way I approach my kids. Uh, I'm conducting talent management um, in my personal life too. I have young, young kids, and they're all unique. Uh, although they are coming from the same father and mother, but they are all unique. They live in the same environment, and they need a unique approach. And uh, I'm not evaluating them after a year. I'm having interactions with them. I give them space. And I think that is also a very important thing, and I'm referring back to my drill instructor. He always appraised the effort. And when things didn't work out well, he would say, like, let's find a way, a strategy in how can we improve this? And if we cannot approve it, accept it, find somebody to pair up with who can help you so that it's all about collaboration. And this is kind of a mindset that I have uh, in going around with my children. It's really helped me through my life. That is a very nice introduction, to be honest, to your story and how TMA came to existence as well and the impact that TMA has to offer for the general public and you know on a on a general basis however what do you think is important you know in the context and in the light of in the context and the light of everything you just said why do you think it's important to discuss employee experience in today's corporate world because as far as i've understood that employee experience plays a huge role on and how TMA has come to life and how it played a huge role in your life as well, going from the army and then to Radstand and then working with TMA and then your personal life as well. So how do you think employee experience steps in on all of that? Uh, of course, it's also basically an empirical experience of myself. When I was working in the big corporate world, um, I had to follow all kinds of mechanisms, protocols. When I was appraising... Um, uh, my employees, I had to fill in certain kind of documents. And um, when it came to the end of an, of an appraisal, um, I was ordered only 10% can have a higher pay rate because they're doing well and 80% should be on the average and 10% is low. And I thought, you know, how can this be? Why do I have to work with these kind of frameworks? But I never got a solution in this. And um, as I started uh, working together with my, uh, with my two partners, after a couple of years, we decided we always had the strategy to go on a, on a, global, uh, on a global level. And 
that gave me the privilege of encountering so many companies, so many partners around the world. And uh, they all kind of struggling in the same way. Uh, if I look at it from a, a scientific approach, and I go back to the Industrial Revolution where scientific management came in place. I think about Henry Ford and Taylorism. Uh, Henry Ford was at that time a brilliant, innovative guy, you know, creating a, a mechanism that could uh, build a car in, in, in a very short time. And one of his phrases was, I need muscles, but unfortunately I get the brains with it. And so the, the human movement started, and then you can think about Maslow or Kofi, and what I've... That's my, my perception. What I've seen is that do, these two worlds, the, the, the human movement and the scientific management, have never met each other. And what I also see is that a lot of companies are using as an HR model the, uh, the Ulrich model. Very clear where HR is the gatekeeper of, uh, of the human resources. It's about the strategy. It's about the administrative expert. It is about the change agent and the employee exper uh, expert the employee uh, champion, as he calls it. And, but if you look at organizations, HR is not really connected in there where the work takes place. Um, so they're coming up with all kinds of mechanical, instrumental protocols. And you can see that when people are engaging and working with each other, it is always kind of out of the dynamics. They have to stop. Now we have to go to an HR process. And I think that doesn't work. And I think that this is creating a distance where people don't feel like, you know, how am I valued? How can I add value? How can I be important for the company? Is, uh, am I important for the company? And I think this is the struggle in many, many, many companies. And this is a remarkable thing, you know, uh, sometimes I get the question, uh, oh, we did a customer survey. The, and we think that we have to improve the quality of our service. So what do we do in corporate life? We organize an office or a department quality service instead of talking to the people. So I think that if we talk about uh, our future, uh, things has to change. We cannot do the things in the same way. The, Mechanisms has been, that has been working now uh, have been functioning for over 100 years. Great, with great innovative ideas. But with the technology and all the dynamics in the world now, we need to tap into the human capacity. And that's one thing that computers and protocols cannot do. They cannot touch your heart. And I think touching the heart of people, engaging, bringing humanity back in business is the way forward. And if you do that, uh, every manager has the capability of doing that because we're all humans. And this is why we uh, are capable of bringing welfare to each other. But you cannot bring welfare to yourself. You have to collaborate. So this is my opinion. You have to bring back humanity and based on your soul, on your heart. And it's not fluffy what I'm saying. It's just like, how do you engage with your kids? You're not going to draw a formula out of the box and say, like, listen, daughter, let's appraise how you've been doing on school. I look at your grades. There are B grades. I'm disappointed in you. That's not the way to go forward. Uh, you don't do that once or twice a year. You have a constant attention for each other because it's all about collaboration. That's very nice, actually. <laughs> I yeah, like it's, it's a very... Um elaborate answer mm -hmm. yeah. and but uh, I wanted I would like to ask you how can this um, how can employees uh, how can we refine uh, or imperfect the current system what what approach should be applied and uh, what is actually the cycle of an employee within the organization well I, d I don't first of all I don't believe in one fits all and if we talk about talent management and bringing humanity back in business, uh, you can see that there's a lot of exploration in the markets. A lot of companies are looking, how can we do it in a, bit, in a different way? Does it really have to be game changers? 
we really have to reconfigure and reinvent ourselves all the way. Well, what I'm saying, like, sometimes improvement can reach up to the level of innovation. Sometimes it's just tweaking a little bit. Uh, but if we are not, if we are not, and I repeat that again, if we are not changing our mindset to the effort of people instead of the person or the, the result of his contribution, then we will not go forward. Um, I only know this little. And with you, Yasin, and with you, Yulia, or with all the others, if we connect each other, if our brains are connected and our hearts are connected, we, we go for the same kind of cause, for the same kind of energy, and we complement each other, that is the way forward. Now, how do you do that in business and when it comes to talent management? I think first we have to define what talent management is because that is also my experience and my insights when I encounter all these, all these uh, companies and, and partners. You can see that sometimes they differentiate talent management between exclusive and inclusive. They say, like, we have some critical players in a company, those are the talents, and the others, what are they? Non-talents? Uh, if I then use a metaphor from the sport and I say, like, do you really think that Messi can, can win the game or does he need 10 other co-players, yeah. co-stars? So sure. how... So I don't believe in the exclusive, I believe in the inclusive. Mm. Um, when you talk about talents, are, is that a person on high performance, like Messi? Or does he have certain kind of characteristics in who he is, how he's motivated, how he's doing things? Um, and that is also very important when you go to business that you have a clear define. Uh, clearly defined what for you talent management is. There's another element, and that is also what you see. Is it input or output? Uh, sometimes people say, you've been performing well, so this year you are a top talent. The next year you're not performing. Are you then a non-talent? <laughs> True. Or is it, like I've learned from my, uh, from my drill instructor, is it all about your motivation? Is it all about your eagerness to learn, to contribute? Is it about, you know, where is, your, where is your preference lying? Where is your strength? And can we unleash that part of it? Um, it is also about, is it nature or nurtured? I don't want to make a distinguishing, I don't want to distinguish between what it is. You know, you have a preference, but if you don't develop your talents, then it's worthless. You know, hiring a, a talented person, but the person doesn't grow with the organization or doesn't evolve or doesn't develop has no has no long life cycle in it it's just a, then you have a talent but how it is it and that it coming this is also coming to is it universal or contextual and that is also a very important thing um, it astonished me sometimes i'm even i cannot put really put words to it when we have a new hire in the team Everybody knows never change a winning team. But if we have a new hire, the dynamics of the teams are, are different. You know, people are finding their new positions. How can we tap in? And again, coming to football, those talented guys are training five to six, 12 times a week for one match. And true. what do we do in business? We never train our team. Absolutely true. Um, so when it comes to talent management, what can we change? Then again, I'm coming back, bringing humanity back. Use your, your strength as a human being in connecting with people. Um, and I think that is, that is the profession of our leaders. Be empathic. Uh, make sure that you connect people with people. Um, shut up. Uh, <laughs> if you cannot improve for 20%, let them have a voice. Listen to their voice. True, uh, and I'm not meaning that we have to. That work is a phenomenon of democracy, because of course the decisions need to be made in a scalable way, in a viable way. But if you don't listen to the voice of people and you don't explain why you're going left or right, so I think it's just all about human connection. Yeah, and that is not so hard. You don't need. I don't have to ask people how do you connect with your child or with your friend. True. Why is it different in, in, in business life? It's human Having instinct. Having an interest in each other. Yeah. 
I agree. And also regarding the football metaphor, you know, like come to think of it a lot, come to think of it quite often. Um, the football metaphor, in my opinion, you know, like even winning teams, they constantly change. Like, for example, you know, the Messi metaphor. Messi now changed his team, right? And he's in PSG. But before that, Messi in 2011, when he was prime, let's say, he had an amazing team. But then after that, they didn't do much because, you know, the team changes. But then they had ups and downs, right? So a winning team isn't everlasting at the same time. Like a winning team is constantly changing, in my opinion. Yeah. And also, you know, like in football and also in business, in my opinion, loyalty comes to question a lot because even though you're winning sometimes people don't end up being happy regardless whether they're winning or not and i think loyalty plays a huge role in this so loyalty is a huge factor of employee experience would you agree or disagree with that uh, i agree but loyalty is not something you can um, you can buy absolutely loyalty is something you have to earn all the time why is it then become challenging to secure employee loyalty? I mean, some people get paid a lot, but you said you can't buy it. But why is it becoming more challenging to secure employee loyalty? I think because of the way we organize our work, it is so mechanical. It is also framed in this is your obligation. I've met so many times people are saying, I see the problem, but it's not, it is not <laughs> my, my thing. It is not yeah. in my job description. Or that people say, I took up that, that issue, I saw the problem, I have a solution, but nobody's listening to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you talk about loyalty, um, even in my family, with the kids, you know, I have, I have a couple of daughters, four in fact, 32, 7, uh, 12 and 13. And sometimes they are more loyal to the mother than to me, or the <laughs> other way around. Yeah. And then I should not compete for who gets the highest loyalty, but I should try to find the connection again. And it is not like people are not, of course, for a large, large extent, uh, predictable. Uh, if you know how they tick, if you treat them the way they want to be treated, yeah. um, then you are capable of creating that loyalty. So many times I've heard uh, the story about, I like my job, uh, I like the payment, but I don't like my manager. Um, why? Well, the manager is also constrained by all the things he has to do next to what he can do with his employees. Uh, so I think if you want to create loyalty, start creating community where people feel that they are having some worth, that they belong there. And I mean, people leave a company when they are not connected, yeah. not with the team. Yeah. So one of my leadership drills is like, you know, how do you treat your team members as collaborators who are doing things together? What about the social cohesion? Do you create your culture where people feel safe? Um, that is what I do in the family. And of course, sometimes my daughter is uh, crazy and has a tantrum and doesn't <laughs> want to speak to me and wants to kill me, uh, never wants to talk to me again. What do I do? I don't fire her. <laughs> I go into a dialogue and, yeah. and try to connect with her in the right moment. Exactly. And I think that, is, that humanity is, is still there. And it's not fluffy. It is not, I'm not a coach. I'm, I'm trying to, to make sure that we work as a team and that we lift each other. And if you go back to the, to the metaphor of, of Messi, and I'm not a football coach, not at all, but I can see like if, they, if the synergy between the team members are good, they all lift each other. True. All support each other. Huh? They all support each other and work, act and work as one. Yep. Do we take care of each other? Do we take the extra mile for each other? If you're having a bad day, you know, reach out, can I help? I think empathy also plays a huge role in all of this. Yeah. Like creating a community is empathy in general because, you know, in essence, you think about it, you try to understand what other people are going through so that they understand what you're going through as well, whether in a corporate context or in a personal context or whichever context, actually. 
the more empathy there is, the higher the understanding and the higher the loyalty becomes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently read a nice article. Uh, everybody has probably heard about the hookah world. Mm -hmm. And there was apparently a new acronym to understand the dynamics in the world. And it's called BUNNY. Um, things are very brittle. On the surface, it looks like it's solid, but it's like a crambulet. <laughs> the crush is hard, but you push through it like, like nothing. Yeah. And a lot of things in our world are brittle. Uh, what is happening? The war, the pandemic. And, pff, you can name, everybody knows these. Very uh, pessimistic. <laughs> these things, right? <laughs> and where there was, in the WUKA world, it was uncertainty. Now it's a lot of anxiety. People are getting yep. afraid. The general vibe. Um, if I look at, 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 at Europe now, because of the war with the energy bills, the, the, the gas bills, people cannot afford it. They're afraid of going into the winter. Yeah. Um, so what do we do with it? And then there is this non-linear connection. In the old days, old days, <laughs> five years ago, <laughs> it was pretty much to predict how things are going. But now it's like it's going... Very unpredictable. Indeed. Very unpredictable. You'll never um, know what will happen next. <laughs> and how can we deal with it as leadership? I think we have to use our intuition. We have to use our empathy. We really have to connect. And I really trust that people can create a, a good world, a good working environment. It's all about together create individual welfare, together create organizational welfare, together create cultural welfare. Yeah, this is very optimistic <laughs> and sounds very good uh, on paper. Yeah. Uh, but I would like, um, I wonder if it is possible to implement this now. How can it be? Uh, will it work in, um, in current um, conditions where the HR uh, structure is very obsolete? How, how, do you see it, uh, how do you see it working in future? Of course, if you look at it from a way as we are organizing our work now uh, in hierarchies, where voices um, are valued based on positions, uh, if you switch it around by saying, like, you know, now we have a hierarchy of ideas. Um, if you, again, just use your human, human skills. Uh, why am I capable to do that in my family? It is not because I have all kinds of protocols. And of course, there is a framework, a reference. We have values in our family that we... Uh, and my family is not perfect. We have conflicts all the time. All the time challenges. Uh, stress by the demands of school, by personal life, uh, struggles because we disagree on things. But the only way to go forward is to open up, use your intuition, um, use human skills in order to get it done. And of course, I, un I fully understand if you look at an HR cycle with so many elements, in it from recruiting to how can we do the onboarding, how can we do leadership, how can we do personal development, how do we do succession planning because we want to have a future and, and, and have some security around it. How do we go around with retention? There's so many elements to it. Um, take it step by step. And the fundament is always coming down, appraise the effort of people and look at their capacity. One of my daughters is, has a passion for horse riding. Of course, I play football with her, but that's not her passion. Why would I push her to do football? You know, try to help her out on, a, on what people, what's really giving people energy. So maybe we have to reinvent the way we are approaching um, what we expect from people. Give you another example. What I found amazing, but from kind of a dark side, in business is that we have job descriptions. Uh, you're a new hire, you're coming in, this is what you have to do, what we expect from you. Oh, great, what a great company. It really feels like a warm bath. Ask people one month later. 
when they really feel how things are really ticking in an organization or two months later. Anyway, if the candidate, uh, the employee is happy, at the end he gets an appraisal, you've done really well, and as a reward, you can do it again. <laughs> what if I would say that to my daughter, who's going to grade four, has done well, and as a reward we say, great, you've learned a lot, but as a reward, you can do grade four again. It's stupid. Yeah. So why are we not, if the organization wants growth, then why are we not helping the organization with saying like, you know, tap in and look at the development of people and redefine the task so that they have a new challenge of development. And, and I believe that, I really believe in long time learning. I was reluctant in doing it myself when I was in school. I went, joined the Marine Corps and there it really came to me, it hit at me. I have to develop myself to be of any relevance in my, in my life, towards my peers, towards my work, towards my family. It's all about that. And I think that should be the starting point. True, that's actually pretty interesting how loyalty, you know, can tap in on the employee experience, especially how to win it back, especially, you know, like in a pessimistic vibe going around nowadays, you know, like even for me, I would say as, you know, as a fresh graduate who is also doing his master's right now, it always kind of feels uncertain to go into the next month or the next year or what's going to happen. Right. So, but I think, I think there is no one fit all approach. There's no one way that fits everyone. Right. Like nothing works for two different people. So it depends also a lot on the background and it depends also a lot on the previous experiences and, you know, people what have they been going through before that and what they will be going through and what to expect. There's no one way that fits everyone. Right. Uh, that is my strong belief. Yeah. Absolutely. That is uh, one of my dogmas. Uh, approach people the way they want to be approached. Um, in my role as a leader, I don't, I don't impose to my employees that, they should, uh, that I'm approaching them the way I want to be approached. I'm also a unique person. Yeah. I have my strength, I have my flip, coin, flip side of my, of my personality, of my skills. Um, I also believe that as, as leaders, there are two, three elements on personal development. Mm -hmm. uh, you, Jason, you're saying, I'm still a graduate, I'm just starting the business. Then I think your first personal development focus is on to socialize. How can I get position? How can I be included? Absolutely. And then when you grow through your, uh, go through your experience, then you start to develop your own voice. Yeah. Um, you become an expert in the field, what you're doing, you're exploring maybe different fields. And then when your voice becomes so strong that your personal developer is, is focusing on, I want my voice to be heard. True. And I want to leave something behind. I want to contribute on my expertise. And then there's the third level. When you've had that role of expert or the role as a manager um, in your personal development, you come to the next level where you say like, okay, now everybody's listened to my voice, but where's my learning? And then I think the third level of learning and personal development is about, hey, maybe I should be open that people can learn from me. And at the same moment, it's like coming from both ways. Um, how can I learn from others? Yeah. And I think that is the, the way that leaders should actually act. Uh, listening, uh, saying like, I'm reading a document and I'm not going to correct it mm -hmm. if I cannot contribute with at least 20% or when I can have an argument, you know, good idea, but we cannot afford it or there are legal issues, blah, 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 that we cannot do it. But if you don't let people be creative and contribute, um, then things will not happen. That's the same as my fam in my family. I can learn from my daughters. I learn from my young employees who are coming from, uh, the, they are native, digital natives. What I learned from them, 
from marketing or from going around in our system. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that is, I think, the way we should, uh, we should work. Leaders should truly lead by example, I would say, don't you think, Julia? Yeah, I think that um, uh, this idea of equality and the example of a family, yeah, the company as a family, uh, this example is very conspicuous. And it's, it all starts yeah, with the smart leadership, so to speak. So put your ego aside yeah, and uh, unite with your people. Yeah. Mm. So um, my but, question... Then but, but do not make the mistake. It's not that I don't have a high bar. You know, you as a leader, you can really have set high expectations, but do it together and appraise the effort, you know, and if it doesn't work, uh, find a strategy to get to get any further. It's not that we are soft and oh, everybody can do whatever he wants. That is not what it is. It is together having a passion or having a commitment, doing things together and put the, the bar high, because if you don't put the bar high, uh, the bar high, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then nothing will happen. Then you stay just underneath the surface where nobody can touch you. Exactly. You have to break through that surface together. The way I see it also, you know, like reading a lot of trends on, you know, in the human resources industry, I would see, you know, like a lot of um, recurring trends and one overarching theme on, or one common or commonality between let's say big resignation or quiet quitting or big resistance is that people don't have that a lot of empathy, don't have a lot of um, flexibility, I would say, because a lot of people, let's say, are quitting or because they are focusing a lot on what do they want to do in their lives. They don't want to just keep listening to people and not develop themselves further, right? So people started doing this thing called quiet quitting. Nowadays, it's becoming a lot more popular. And the reason behind it is that people are sticking to their nine to five job. They're not taking any calls after 5 p.m. They're not doing anything before 9 a.m. And they're just there. They're doing their job and they're leaving back home. They're taking their vacations as structured and they're just going by the law, I would say. But I think what really caused all of these trends to take place is that people are tired of being told what to do without any consideration or empathy regarding their personal lives. And everyone has a personal life, obviously, even the most workaholic person on this planet eventually has a personal life, right? And the, the less he's or she's in touch with that, the more they're gonna get exhausted at their jobs. The less there's gonna be a work-life balance, the more there's gonna be exhaustion or... Yeah. You're we don't live in, an, in the world of utopia. Absolutely. And of course, it's nice to say, like, work from your talents and everything will get better. I truly believe in that. But yeah. there is also sometimes a harsh reality. Mm. Uh, I live in Portugal where the average uh, minimum wages are very low, where people don't have the choice. They have to accept two, three jobs that is constraining them in their personal life, that um, is giving them physical problems, mental problems. They cannot really connect with the children. They have to disappoint the children. You cannot go to football because daddy cannot pay it. So, you know, and that is also what I, what I mean about what is the influence? What is the role of a company? Is it just like to pursue profit? Is it something, you know, that is a little bit, maybe a little bit higher? Is there something like coming back to the, to the environment, to society? Um, another element to it is, for example, where are the responsibilities? If I look at pandemic, what it, call, it has caused so much domestic violence. Mm. As companies, we cannot, we cannot say, oh, but these are not employees. Well, mind you, these are employees who are normally working in your company and finding some peace and some other interest to balance out their lives. So I think we all have a responsibility in that. And, but if you are not giving people the space to breathe, to be human, and consider just to be uh, like Henry Ford said, uh, I need muscles, not brains. Mm. Yeah. True. That's, that's the wrong decision. And I think this is the good thing about the new generations. 
Yeah. New generations are pretty clear in what they want. They make their own choices. Uh, they read the Bible or the Koran or whatever. They pick their own, their own value out of it. They are not told they cannot be indulged to do things. They make their own choices. And I think this is great. Um, they, you know, if you look at uh, the way consumerism uh, is developing, the new generations are going, hey, we have to minimize this. We have an interest in the world. And I think that humanity is coming back from all kinds of angles to deal with the world. And I think as organizations, we have to tap in and, and synchronize those ideas, um, those mechanisms to have a, a future together. True. Yeah, I totally agree here. And uh, I hope uh, it all will be visible <laughs> yeah. in the future. What would be a takeaway advice for our listeners as an HR expert or someone who has been in the field for, I mean, you're a trooper, you've been there for <laughs> very, very long, you know, compared to a lot of people I've met as well. So what would be exactly your takeaway advice for everything that's going on for people like me or for people who are also HR experts or for people who are starting out or in the halfway through, everyone goes through something else for sure but what's one thing that you believe in that everyone should also go by um when it comes to what, the what experience is, of the, course of course i can look at my children what is the best advice i can give to my children and mm -hmm. this is also a worry i have i mean just think about it um in the army now we have um, the new top gun movie wow yeah. great to be a, a jet fan jet fighter pilot right mm. well i have an idea that maybe in five years time we don't need the pilots anymore we need somebody with a joystick and a command center <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah exactly if you look at the world economic forum and what they are predicting how many jobs that we know now are, will be completely absolute mm. that will be replaced by something else and if i then look at the um, the mechanism and the structures that we have the infrastructure for education you can see that there's a big gap between what education is delivering and the needs of the market. Why the market is developing so quickly. So when I look at my children, how can I help them to have a future? This is my, one of my biggest worries. Yeah. Um, I'm not concerned about myself. I'm well off. I have a good life. But my children, what is, going, what is the future going to be in 10, 15 years? So what I'm trying to do is I am helping them to explore how can I be a good citizen, to raise a critical voice, but a constructive one, to be open to many cultures, to work with people on an eye level. Um, you know, these kind of things to tap in, you know, I'm not going to push them because I want to be validated by who I am by it's almost like an artistic track that I want my children to be doctors or psychologists or lawyers or engineers. I'm trying to help them um, to find their way to explore. I'm challenging them to explore their way. And then I think that is the best way I can, can advise companies. Open up, talk to your people, you know, find a way that they can explore their talents, that they can really thrive. Because if people thrive, organizations will thrive. If people thrive, families will thrive. If people thrive, societies will thrive. And I think that is the best way you can do it. Open up to people, treat them as they, as their potential. And, and challenging them with a high standard. And help them to find strategies to develop themselves. And I think that is the core of talent management. Well, that's wonderful, actually. Yeah, and that, uh, <laughs> uh, so opti full of optimism and yeah. so I, I insightful. In humanity. Yeah. I really believe in humanity. Couldn't be phrased any better, to be honest, Andre. Yeah. And uh, on that high note, on that high note, I would like to thank you, Andre, mm -hmm. for all the insights you've provided. It's been really wonderful. It's been <laughs> a pleasure. Actually, I like to do that. I do that every day. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, but taking it on a deeper level, I feel is the thing that people lack nowadays in corporate world. I mean, when you listen to people talking in corporate, for example, yesterday we had a speaker in one of my classes and he works at a brewing company. And he told me, for example, without mentioning company names, obviously, but when he worked at other companies where the hierarchy is much different and people don't actually listen, it's all about pleasing other people. It's not about the well-being of the workers themselves. So it's all about pleasing the person above you. Yeah. Right. So people are exhausted because of that. People are quite quitting. People are resigning. People are just finding what they are passionate about. Because once you do something that you're not passionate about, eventually you're going to burn out. Eventually you're going to run out of motivation. Yeah. Right. So it is, it is about all about, you know, I fully understand and I have it myself, you know, through the things that I'm doing, through the course of life, in the, in, in the dynamics, you create these paradigms. Mm. And then it, everything becomes comprehensible and doable and fixable if you have this paradigm. But if you're not open to change your paradigm, to have a different look at things, to listen to other people, if that dogma doesn't change with you, then you, you, st you stick to the things you know. And True. I know um, an author, uh, and he wrote the book of the unbearable lightness of being. Mm. And there was one, there's one quote, and it really triggered me. And he said, like, in the, era, in the era of dissolution, everything is illuminated by the nostalgica, uh, even the guillotine. And it means, like, if you do not have the solution, you have the tendency of holding on to what you have. Yeah. The thing is, if we keep doing the things as we are doing it now, nothing will nothing change. You will have change. the same result. So you Absolutely. you have to open up. You have to evolve. Um, yeah, that's what I think. That's great. I guess that's uh, that also kind of uh, redefines the core of talent management, as you said. It's in the essence of it. So, yeah. mindset. Then find a, a human approach, and then select the right tool set. Not the other way around. That is also what I feel, what I, what I sense and what I observe a lot of times. HR is so fragmented in an organization. Uh, they're always looking for another tool. And mm. management is then responding, okay, HR is coming with another tool. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to do now? Yeah. It's not the tool that builds the house. It's the mindset. True. Wow, Andre. <laughs> Keeps uh keeps getting better and better the, the longer we go on with this conversation. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to uh, end it here and say thank you. It was uh, quite insightful, to be honest, and hopefully looking forward to having more episodes with you on this podcast. With pleasure, Yazan. And that would be that would be the essence of from talent to performance. The name behind our podcast is that we would like to inspire people. This is a podcast by the people for the people. Right, we would like to connect the HR world to the general public in general. So, simple people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, regardless whether you're interested in HR or not, this is something that everyone wants to listen to, in my opinion. People yeah. want to relate to stuff. And yeah. whether you're working, whether you're still at your university, you want to be certain about things in your life. You want to feel like you're heard as well. So. In the end, almost all of us are potential employees because we exactly. still work, have to work for someone. And I think that's what makes uh, this podcast very relatable pretty much to everyone. So thank you very much, Andre. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. You're Andre. welcome. So this was Andre Blum and our first episode of the podcast on how should or why should companies care about employee experience. I think we've benefited a lot, to be honest, from our conversation. Um, we would like to guide you to our landing page on LinkedIn. Let us know your insight. Let us know your feedback about the episode. What, in your opinion, should be talked about when it comes to employee experience. And yeah, there are a lot of topics as well. This is just the beginning over here. We would like you to also visit tmamethod.com. And um, it was a pleasure, Julia. Yeah, see you on the next episode. See you on the next episode. And let us know what weak spots in the HR 
industry you would like to have uncovered and exposed. Absolutely. Thank you, Yulia. And Thank we'll you. leave you now with the DMA method introduction. Hi, we are TMA. Nice to meet you. The world's changing fast, and that's why organizations have to adapt faster. Who is the right person for a task, and how can he or she become an asset for the rest of the team? You can only assess this when you thoroughly know your team and exactly know what kind of person is needed. We generate a scientifically validated analysis of your personal motives in an instant. An applicable and nuanced profile of your talents and motivation. No color test or assessment, but a complete and positive depiction of your personality and potential. If we can use TMA to match your employees' talents with the right type of work, it will make them happy in their job. We can also analyze an entire team so that everyone is in the right role. In this way, they cooperate from their natural behavior, and the team will deliver above-average performances. Can you imagine if we analyze multiple teams or departments with TMA? The collaboration will improve significantly. People will become more productive and get more energy from their work. An organization that continues to boost and develop the talents of its employees can rise to unprecedented heights. Now we have an API with which we can link TMA with every standard HR software. This makes it more personal, allowing employees to use the package more regularly and intensively. They will actively and effectively work on their own talent development. The more organizations combine TMA data with consisting HR data, the more insights we obtain, which type of people flourish in particular work, which specific talents belong to a role. What makes a successful team? How do you prevent burnouts? Which competencies do I need in the future? In short, more engagements of users in the HR software. There, it becomes more personal. Intensification of usage in the HR software. New big data business model. We believe the talents of people make a company successful. That's why TMA helps people to get to know themselves and others as well as possible, to become the best version of themselves. Together, we can improve the work experience of your employees and the performance of your organization. TMAMethod.com